A fool who thinks that he is a fool is for that very reason a wise man. The fool who thinks that he is wise is called a fool indeed. Though he should conquer a thousand men in the battlefield a thousand times, yet he, indeed, who would conquer himself is the noblest victor. Though he should live a hundred years, not seeing the truth sublime, yet better, indeed, is the single day's life of one who sees the truth sublime. Hard as birth is human, hard is the life of mortals, hard is the hearing of the sublime truth, hard is the appearance of a awakened person. Not to do any evil, to cultivate good, to purify one's mind, this is the advice of the awakened people. Hello everyone. I am a Buddhist living in Japan. I would like to share with you the main points of the Buddhist scriptures. This podcast contains parables and simple expressions which represent the essence of the sutras he true teachings of the Shakyamuni Buddha, the founder of Buddhism. I sincerely hope that this podcast will provide you with guidance in your encountering of the awakened person in daily life and provides you with fresh answers to your life's situations. Let's listen to Buddhas, the theory of mind only and the real state of things. Though both body and mind appear because of cooperating causes, it does not follow that there is an ego personality. As the body of flesh is an aggregate of elements, it is, therefore, impermanent. If the body were an ego personality, it could do this and that as it would determine. A king has the power to praise or punish as he wishes, but he becomes ill despite his intent or desire, he comes to old age unwillingly, and his fortune and his wishes often have little to do with each other. Neither is the mind the ego personality. The human mind is an aggregate of causes and conditions. It is in constant change. If the mind were an ego personality, it could do this and that as it would determine, but the mind often flies from what it knows is right and chases after evil reluctantly. Still, nothing seems to happen exactly as its ego desires. If one is asked whether the body is constant or impermanent, he will be obliged to answer, impermanent. If one is asked whether impermanent existence is happiness or suffering, he will generally have to answer, suffering. If a man believes that such an impermanent thing, so changeable and filled with suffering, is the ego personality, it is a serious mistake. The human mind is also impermanent and suffering, it has nothing that can be called an ego personality. Our true body and mind, which make up an individual life, and the external world surrounding it, are far apart from both the conceptions of, me, and, mine. It is simply the mind clouded over by impure desires, and impervious to wisdom, that obstinately persists in thinking of, me, and, mine. Since both the body and its surroundings are originated by cooperating causes and conditions, they are continually changing and never can come to an end. The human mind, in its never-ending changes, is like the flowing water of river or the burning flame of a candle, like an ape, it is forever jumping about, not ceasing for even a moment. A wise man, seeing and hearing such, should break away from any attachment to body or mind, if he is ever to attain enlightenment. There are five things which no one is able to accomplish in this world, first, to cease growing old when he is growing old, second, to cease being sick, third, to cease dying, fourth, to deny extinction when there is extinction, fifth, to deny exhaustion. Ordinary people in the world sooner or later run into these facts, and most people suffer consequently, but those who have heard the Buddha's teaching do not suffer because they understand that these are unavoidable. There are four truths in this world, 
First, all living beings rise from ignorance. Second, all objects of desire are impermanent, uncertain and suffering. Third, all existing things are also impermanent, uncertain and suffering. Fourth, there is nothing that can be called an ego, and there is no such thing as mine in all the world. These truths that everything is impermanent and passing and egoless, have no connection with the fact of Buddha's appearing or not appearing in this world. These truths are certain, Buddha knows this and, therefore, preaches the Dharma to all people. Both delusion and enlightenment originate within the mind, and every existence or phenomenon arises from the functions of the mind, just as different things appear from the sleeve of a magician. The activities of the mind have no limit, they form the surroundings of life. An impure mind surrounds itself with impure things and a pure mind surrounds itself with pure things, hence, surroundings have no more limits than the activities of the mind. Just as a picture is drawn by an artist, surroundings are created by the activities of the mind. While the surroundings created by Buddha are pure and free from defilement, those created by ordinary men are not so. The mind conjures up multifarious forms just as a skillful painter creates pictures of various worlds. There is nothing in the world that is not mind-created. A Buddha is like our mind, sentient beings are just like Buddhas. Therefore there is no difference among the mind, Buddhas and sentient beings in their capability of creating all things. Buddha has a right understanding of all things as fashioned by the mortal mind. Therefore, those who know this are able to see the real Buddha. But the mind that creates its surroundings is never free from memories, fears or laments, not only in the past but in the present and the future, because they have arisen from ignorance and greed. It is from ignorance and greed that the world of delusion is born, and all the vast complexity of coordinating causes and conditions exists within the mind and nowhere else. Both life and death arise from the mind and exist within the mind. Hence, when the mind that concerns itself with life and death passes on, the world of life and death passes with it. An unenlightened life rises from a mind that is bewildered by its own world of delusion. If we learn that there is no world of delusion outside the mind, the bewildered mind becomes clear, and because we cease to create impure surroundings, we attain enlightenment. In this way the world of life and death is created by the mind, is in bondage to the mind, is ruled by the mind, the mind is the master of every situation. The world of suffering is brought about by the deluded mortal mind. Therefore, all things are primarily controlled and ruled by the mind, and are created up by the mind. As the wheels follow the ox that draws the cart, so does suffering follow the person who speaks and acts with an impure mind. But if a man speaks and acts with a good mind, happiness follows him like his shadow. Those who act in evil are followed by the thought, I have done wrong, and the memory of the act is stored to work out its inevitable retribution in the lives to follow. But those who act from good motives are made happy by the thought, I have done good, and are made happier by the thought that the good act will bring continuing happiness in the lives to follow. If the mind is impure, it will cause the feet to stumble along a rough and difficult road, there will be many a fall and much pain. But if the mind is pure, the path will be smooth and the journey peaceful. One who is to enjoy the purity of both body and mind walks the path to Buddhahood, breaking the net of selfish, impure thoughts and evil desires. He who is calm in mind acquires peacefulness and thus is able to cultivate his mind and night with more diligence. Since everything in this world is brought about by causes and conditions, there can be no fundamental distinctions among things. The apparent distinctions exist because of people's absurd and discriminating thoughts. In the sky there is no distinction of east and west, people create the distinctions out of their own minds and then believe them to be true. 
Mathematical numbers from 1 to infinity are each complete numbers, and each in itself carries no distinction of quantity, but people make the discrimination for their own convenience, so as to be able to indicate varying amounts. Inherently there are no distinctions between the process of life and the process of destruction, people make a discrimination and call one birth and the other death. In action there is no discrimination between right and wrong, but people make a distinction for their own convenience. Buddha keeps away from these discriminations and looks upon the world as upon a passing cloud. To Buddha every definitive thing is illusion, he knows that whatever the mind grasps and throws away is insubstantial, thus he transcends the pitfalls of images and discriminative thought. People grasp at things for their own imagined convenience and comfort, they grasp at wealth and treasure and honors, they cling desperately to mortal life. They make arbitrary distinctions between existence and non-existence, good and bad, right and wrong. For people, life is a succession of graspings and attachments, and then, because of this, they must assume the illusions of pain and suffering. Once there was a man on a long journey who came to a river. He said to himself, this side of the river is very difficult and dangerous to walk on, and the other side seems easier and safer, but how shall I get across? So he built a raft out of branches and reeds and safely crossed the river. Then he thought to himself, this raft has been very useful to me in crossing the river, I will carry it along with me. And thus he voluntarily assumed an unnecessary burden. Can this man be called a wise man? This parable teaches that even a good thing, when it becomes an unnecessary burden, should be thrown away, much more so if it is a bad thing. Buddha made it the rule of his life to avoid useless and unnecessary discussions. Things do not come and go, neither do they appear and disappear, therefore, one does not get things or lose things. Buddha teaches that things neither appear nor disappear since they transcend both the affirmation of existence and the denial of existence. That is, everything being a concordance and succession of causes and conditions, a thing in itself does not exist, so it can be said that it is non-existent. At the same time, because it has a relative connection with causes and conditions, it can be said that it is not non-existent. To adhere to a thing because of its form is the source of delusion. If the form is not grasped and adhered to, this false imagination and absurd delusion will not occur. Enlightenment is seeing this truth and being free from such a fooling delusion. The world, indeed, is like a dream and the treasures of the world are an alluring mirage. Like the apparent distance in a picture, things have no reality in themselves but are like heat haze. To believe that things created by an incalculable series of causes can last forever is a serious mistake and is called the theory of permanency, but it is just as great a mistake to believe that things completely disappear, this is called the theory of non-existence. These categories of everlasting life and death, and existence and non-existence, do not apply to the essential nature of things but only to their appearances as they are observed by defiled human eyes. Because of human desire, people become related and attached to their appearances, but in the essential nature of things, they are free from all such discriminations and attachments. Since everything is created by a series of causes and conditions, the appearances of things are constantly changing, that is, there is no consistency about it as there should be about authentic substances. It is because of this constant changing of appearances that we liken things to a mirage and a dream. But, in spite of this constant changing in appearances, things, in their essential spiritual nature, are constant and changeless. To a man a river seems like a river, but to a hungry demon which sees fire in the water, it may seem to be like fire. Therefore, to speak to a man about a river existing would have some sense, but to the demon it would have no meaning.
In like manner, it can be said that things are like illusions, they can be said neither to be existent nor non-existent. Yet it can not be said that, apart from this world of change and appearance, there is another world of permanence and truth. It is a mistake to regard this world as either a temporal world or as a real one. But ignorant people of this world assume that this is a real world and proceed to act upon that absurd assumption. But as this world is only an illusion, their acts, being based upon error, only lead them into harm and suffering. A wise man, recognizing that the world is but an illusion, does not act as if it were real, so he escapes the suffering. To those who choose the path that leads to enlightenment, there are two extremes that should be carefully avoided. First, there is the extreme of indulgence in the desires of the body. Second, there is the opposite extreme of ascetic discipline, torturing one's body and mind unreasonably. The noble path, that transcends these two extremes and leads to enlightenment and wisdom and peace of mind, may be called the middle way. What is the middle way? It consists of the eightfold noble path, right view, right thought, right speech, right behavior, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. As has been said, all things appear or disappear by reason of an endless series of causes. Ignorant people see life as either existence or non-existence, but wise men see beyond both existence and non-existence something that transcends them both, this is an observation of the middle way. Suppose a log is floating in a river. If the log does not become grounded, or sink, or is not taken out by a man, or does not decay, ultimately it will reach the sea. Life is like this log caught in the current of a great river. If a person does not become attached to a life of self-indulgence, or, by renouncing life, does not become attached to a life of self-torture, if a person does not become proud of his virtues or does not become attached to his evil acts, if in his search for enlightenment he does not become contemptuous of delusion, nor fear it, such a person is following the middle way. The important thing in following the path to enlightenment is to avoid being caught and entangled in any extreme, that is, always to follow the middle way. Knowing that things neither exist nor do not exist, remembering the dream-like nature of everything, one should avoid being caught by pride of personality or praise for good deeds, or caught and entangled by anything else. If a person is to avoid being caught in the current of his desires, he must learn at the very beginning not to grasp at things lest he should become accustomed to them and attached to them. He must not become attached to existence nor to non-existence, to anything inside or outside, neither to good things nor to bad things, neither to right nor to wrong. If he becomes attached to things, just at that moment, all at once, the life of delusion begins. The one who follows the noble path to enlightenment will not maintain regrets, neither will he cherish anticipations, but, with an equitable and peaceful mind, will meet what comes. Enlightenment has no definite form or nature by which it can manifest itself, so in enlightenment itself, there is nothing to be enlightened. Enlightenment exists solely because of delusion and ignorance, if they disappear, so will enlightenment. And the opposite is true also, there is no enlightenment apart from delusion and ignorance, no delusion and ignorance apart from enlightenment. Therefore, be on guard against thinking of enlightenment as a thing, to be grasped at, lest it, too, should become an obstruction. When the mind that was in darkness becomes enlightened, it passes away, and with its passing, the thing which we call enlightenment passes also. As long as people desire enlightenment and grasp at it, it means that delusion is still with them, therefore, those who are following the way to enlightenment must not grasp at it, and if they reach enlightenment they must not linger in it.
When people attain enlightenment in this sense, it means that everything is enlightenment itself as it is, therefore, people should follow the path to enlightenment until in their thoughts, worldly passions and enlightenment become identical as they are. This concept of universal oneness, that things in their essential nature have no distinguishing marks, is called, sunyata. Sunyata means non-substantiality, the unborn, having no self-nature, no duality. It is because things in themselves have no form or characteristics that we can speak of them as neither being born nor being destroyed. There is nothing about the essential nature of things that can be described in terms of discrimination, that is why things are called non-substantial. As has been pointed out, all things appear and disappear because of causes and conditions. Nothing ever exists entirely alone, everything is in relation to everything else. Wherever there is light, there is shadow, wherever there is length, there is shortness, wherever there is white, there is black. Just like these, as the self-nature of things cannot exist alone, they are called non-substantial. By the same reasoning, enlightenment cannot exist apart from ignorance, nor ignorance apart from enlightenment. Since things do not differ in their essential nature, there can be no duality. 5. People habitually think of themselves as being connected with birth and death, but in reality there are no such conceptions. When people are able to realize this truth, they have realized the truth of the non-duality of birth and death. It is because people cherish the idea of an ego personality that they cling to the idea of possession, but since there is no such thing as an ego, there can be no such things as possessions. When people are able to realize this truth, they will be able to realize the truth of non-duality. People cherish the distinction of purity and impurity, but in the nature of things, there is no such distinction, except as it rises from false and absurd images in their mind. In like manner people make a distinction between good and evil, but good and evil do not exist separately. Those who are following the path to enlightenment recognize no such duality, and it leads them to neither praise the good and condemn the evil, nor despise the good and condone the evil. People naturally fear misfortune and long for good fortune, but if the distinction is carefully studied, misfortune often turns out to be good fortune and good fortune to be misfortune. The wise man learns to meet the changing circumstances of life with an equitable spirit, being neither elated by success nor depressed by failure. Thus one realizes the truth of non-duality. Therefore, all the words that express relations of duality, such as existence and non-existence, worldly passions and true knowledge, purity and impurity, good and evil, none of these terms of contrast in one's thinking are expressed or recognized in their true nature. When people keep free from such terms and from the emotions engendered by them, they realize sunyata's universal truth. Just as the pure and fragrant lotus flower grows out of the mud of a swamp rather than out of the clean loam of an upland field, so from the muck of worldly passions springs the pure enlightenment of Buddhahood. Even the mistaken views of heretics and the delusions of worldly passions may be the seeds for Buddhahood. If a diver is to secure pearls he must descend to the bottom of the sea, braving all dangers of jagged coral and vicious sharks. So man must face the perils of worldly passion if he is to secure the precious pearl of enlightenment. He must first be lost among the mountainous crags of egoism and selfishness, before there will awaken in him the desire to find a path that will lead him to enlightenment. There is a legend of a hermit who had such a great desire to find the true path that he climbed a mountain of swords and threw himself into fire, enduring them because of his hope. He who is willing to risk the perils of the path will find a cool breeze blowing on the sword-bristling mountains of selfishness and among the fires of hatred and, in the end, will come to realize that the selfishness and worldly passions against which he has struggled and suffered are enlightenment itself.
Buddha's teaching leads us to non-duality, from the discriminating concept of two conflicting points of view. It is a mistake for people to seek a thing supposed to be good and right, and to flee from another supposed to be bad and evil. If people insist that all things are empty and transitory, it is just as great a mistake to insist that all things are real and do not change. If a person becomes attached to his ego personality, it is a mistake because it cannot save him from dissatisfaction or suffering. If he believes there is no ego, it is also a mistake and it would be useless for him to practice the way of truth. If people assert that everything is suffering, it is also a mistake, if they assert that everything is happiness, that is a mistake, too. Buddha teaches the middle way transcending these prejudiced concepts, where duality merges into oneness. Thanks for listening. A Buddhist monk in the 13th century said, This year and last year, we heard of the passing of many people. It is truly sad. However, the truth of the impermanence of life and death is a fact taught by those who have awakened to it, so please do not be surprised and awaken to its wisdom. As imperfect beings, no matter how much we human beings are heartbroken over the death of our neighbors, it is unfortunately very difficult for us to help them. No matter how deeply we wish and shed tears for the resuscitation of our dying relatives, as we all know, we cannot bring them back from the dead. The thought is a noble but imperfect act of mercy that cannot be performed. You can awaken wisdom. Everyone can do that. Then you can practice the act of perfect compassion, and in time, when you awaken to true wisdom, you can help your neighbors who wish to awaken to wisdom and help them fulfill their wishes. That is what it means to be awakened by wisdom. That is how we can live a great life. This passage from the podcast was excerpted and edited from, Teachings of the Buddha, published by Bukkyo Dendo Kyoke. The name means, Buddhist Missionary Association, in Japanese, and has an office in Minato-ku, Tokyo. They own the copyright of this English translation of Buddhist scriptures. You will have access to Buddhist scriptures translated into languages from around the world. Next time, let's listen about how everyone has equal potential to become an enlightened person. The Buddhist view of humanity is basically optimistic. Goodbye, see you later.